We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. It's January 4th, our first podcast, James, of 2022. Uh, we are presented, as always, by WinBet. Uh, check out winbet.com for all of your NBA gambling needs. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. Uh, James, it's been a while since we've done a true concept episode. You know, we've, we've talked a lot of news. We've talked way more fantasy basketball than I think we have over the last, like, four years combined uh, on this pod this season. But... As we begin in 2022 and we kind of hopefully move out of the like December dark ages of, of COVID and the NBA, as as most players either have had it by now or, you know, are, are emerging out of protocols faster than they were before. I, I felt like there wasn't a ton of news. So I think it's a good time to do one of those concept episodes. And the idea that we came up with for this one is simply ranking the top players in the NBA who are under 25. So we, we made the decision to not include players who are currently 25 so that rules out someone like Jalen Brown, uh, Ben Simmons, even those, even though those guys were in the same draft as Brandon Ingram, who's 24, uh, they are not eligible. So any player who is currently under age 25 and currently on an NBA roster is eligible to be ranked. And you know, I, I, as usual, I didn't want to assign any hard parameters here, but essentially the guideline is, you know, who would you want for the next three seasons, including this one? So you're, you're taking into account, you know, current injuries, any concerns about any of these guys. Uh, but you're also projecting out a couple of years, which is always fun when you're talking young players. So uh, before we get to the list, like what was your your general methodology here? What what did you use as source material uh, to come up with your list? And and how difficult was it for you to rank these guys, especially that top five or 10? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of went through every depth chart and just made sure that I wasn't forgetting anyone and I mean, every team you get to, it's just kind of like there's one or two obvious guys to consider for a list like this. And I just kind of tried to roughly order those guys as I went. And then I did a bit of research from there, um, double checked that everyone was under 25. And um, the nice thing about these parameters of it just being like for the next three seasons, including this one, is 
you know, it's, it's a bit more abstract and just sort of like, I think I have it in my mind, I have a pretty good idea of how I project these players to improve. Um, so it's, you know, with it being less about just, just for this season or something like that, I think it made it a, a lot easier to kind of order these guys. Yeah. I mean, there's a fair amount of subjectivity involved here. I mean, obviously you're, you're, playing it on the numbers but yeah if we're, if we're just talking 2021-22 you know Zion Williamson doesn't make your top 20 or your top 25 because he hasn't played in a game so there is some there's you know a lot of actually projection element uh with these guys and and kind of how much risk you're willing to take with some players who uh maybe aren't playing all that well right now but you know we've been on been high on in the past or or are high on uh for the future so you know I, I didn't set an exact number of how deep we're going to go here I think we each have 20 to 25 guys who we've put in order. So we'll try to get through most of that list. Uh, I have a, a handful of other players who were kind of left on the cutting room floor, some of whom maybe are in your top 25. Maybe you'll have guys who, who you left out who are in mine. Uh, but we'll talk about those guys at the end. Let's start at the top, though. I want to hear your top five players under 25 in the NBA for, I guess, now the next two and a half years. Yeah, so uh, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, John Morant, Evan Mobley, and Jason Tatum. Okay. I, I, I don't think you have a single um, controversial pick in there. I have I have four of those guys in my top five and all five of those guys in my top seven. Okay. Uh, what was your top five? So my top five was Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Evan Mobley, John Morant, LaMelo Ball. And I have Tatum at seven. Yeah, you know, I think um, Lamelo is one of the toughest guys on this list, I think, for me to rank. Uh, certainly, if these were fantasy rankings, he might be number one, uh, even ahead mm-hmm. of like Doncic and Trey Young. Uh, I just, you know, he he plays, he, he kind of plays so uh recklessly at times um the the effort level defensively uh especially like off the ball it just is you know it's it's kind of below where you'd want it to be for um someone who's going to be playing you know 38 minutes a game in the playoffs um you know he's his three-point shot is certainly at a better stage of its development than I think anyone would have expected to be so far, but he uh, doesn't really have a ton else that is super reliable in the half court. I mean, he, he's, he's so good at uh, playing in transition that, I mean, that that's just such a, a lethal part of his game. But um, in the half court, I feel like there's just a, a lot of, you know, bad turnovers, uh, bad shot attempts um and then defensively uh, he's you know there's times when he's looked good to me uh on the ball specifically but um you know i, I don't think he's gonna be a, a plus on that side of the ball um and so you know with tatum obviously i mean this is a pretty low point in tatum's value but yeah, you know, I was also kind of factoring in like, you know, we don't, it's not like I'm picking Tatum on the Celtics for the next two and a half years or, 
LaMelo on the Hornets for the next two and a half years. It's kind of more sort of like put this guy on a team and like go from there. Mm. Um, and I think Tatum is just so easy to, to build around and so easy to fit in. Uh, the Celtics maybe haven't, haven't done a great job of, of that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, how many teams couldn't just desperately use a player with Tatum's strengths and weaknesses? You know, I think it, he's just it's such a rare commodity to have a, a wing with his size and his shooting and his defense, even though the shooting hasn't been great to start the year. I still think that that's a, a strong skill of his. Um, so, you know, I just I think uh, LaMelo is he's a bit more of a question mark to me. and um, he, he's not he's not a good stats bad team guy because he is a big part of why the, the Hornets have one of the best offenses in the league but I don't think he's a good stats like championship caliber team guy mm-hmm. just yet at least not as sort of the focal point of the offense I think that's all fair uh, I think pretty much every point you made, I, it's pretty tough to push back on any of that. And I, I initially did have Tatum higher, and I, you know, I, I don't feel great about having him down at seven. But part of it for me is, you know, like you said, he's at a low point in his value. You know, Lamelo certainly going the other way with the season that he's having. I, I mean, not that Tatum can't get any better because he he definitely will. He's only 23, but he turns 24, I believe, in March, and you know, Lamelo just turned 20 in August. So, you know, to me, it's like, if we're projecting out, you know, where are these guys going to be in 2023, 24, a lot of those issues that we talked about with LaBello, I would hope are ironed out by then. Uh, whereas Tatum has, has somewhat plateaued over these last couple of years, you know, like based on what he looked like he was going to be after his rookie season. I mean, it was like, this could potentially be the next Kevin Durant. And he's still very, very good. He's still one of the top assets in the league. He's probably going to make, you know, eight to 10 all-star games by the end of his career. But it, it's it, as of right now, it's not looking like he's quite on that otherworldly potential top 20 player ever, you know, Kevin Durant like trajectory. Um, and I'm not sure LaMelo will get there either. Chances are he probably won't. Statistically, you know, the vast majority of, of even the best young players don't get to that level. But I, I still think he's so young that a lot of those things we're concerned about uh, could potentially be ironed out. Although one thing I did put down in my notes is like, you know, I don't know LaMelo Ball personally, but like personality wise, that's somewhat of a concern for me going forward. Like this doesn't seem like he's necessarily the most easy guy or the most willing guy to work with yeah you know he's he's such a he's such a prodigy and things just come so naturally to him that I don't you know obviously he's worked very hard to get where he is but I just don't know if he's um got that mentality to just you know do everything in his power to you know fix any weakness in his game and, you know, all the little things to, to help his team win and stuff like that. I, I mean, he's just, um, he said, he's such a savant that I, I just, I'm not necessarily sure that there's going to be like any kind of a linear growth with his game. Um, obviously he's, you know, he deserves a ton of credit for, uh, improving his jumper to where it is. But, um, again, I, I just, he's such a tough guy to rank. Like, I mean, we could do these rankings, you know, eight months from now and I could have Lamelo at one, you know, I, I don't know. It, he's, he's so tough for me to, to place. He's, he's probably the toughest guy for me to, to rank on this whole list. And I had, is a great word I, had choice. 
I had him at six, by the way, right after Taylor. Okay, okay. So we're not far off there. I have met five, you have met six. Um, but Savant is a good word choice because, I mean, by definition, it's like you're otherworldly at some things and you're like, you know, noticeably lacking in other areas where it's almost like those those skills like take away from something in order to make you extremely good in another area. And, and I think that is, at least from the outside, you know, part of what seems to be going on there. But um, you also made a great point, you know, when you were talking about Tatum that I also did not assume that, you know, these players will be on the same team or the team context will be the same for the next two and a half years. You kind of, most of these guys are so young that we haven't seen them in other situations other than the one they were drafted into. Uh, that's not the case for everybody, but for most of these guys, you know, if you're 22, 23, you're probably still on one team. Uh, but, you know, try to, I, I at least try to think independently of, you know, who are these guys as a player, um, not necessarily what they mean to their current team. I, I want to return to the top real quickly was it was it really close between Luca and Trey Young or anyone else for you? Uh, no, I mean, I think there there might be that temptation to to think about a guy like Trey or Ja or even Mobley. Um, but I think you know, I mean, especially when we kind of remove team context, like you know, Jason Kidd is Luka Doncic's coach right now. and uh, like the third best player on his team is Jalen Brunson. And like, it, you know, it's just, it's a bad situation. I, I think if you, you know, if you put Doncic like in a, in a situation like Giannis has in Milwaukee or something like that, um, he's just, he's still just got this ridiculously high upside that we've seen in the playoffs where, like I always come back to that series last year where, where him and Kawhi were just playing completely out of their minds against each other. And it was just breathtaking to watch. And we've never seen any of the players on this list come anywhere near to that type of level in the playoffs. So um, I just, I think you got to just trust that he's going to kind of get out of this sort of funk that he's in to start the season. I mean, in, you know, I think it's a great time great time to you know try to trade for him in a, in a dynasty league or something like that um obviously if if things don't get kind of figured out with dallas like you know you bring in a guy like jason kidd like the next thing you know i like you could see a scenario where Doncic is kind of like why do i want to stay here for the rest of my career um you know it's just i, I trust that if you put the right guys around him um you know, maybe he is kind of just going to be Shaq and have to play his way into shape every year. Um, but I still think, I mean, we, we, it's not like this is the first year he's come into camp, like out of shape. It's just, it seems like it's the first year where uh, he's had a subpar coach that maybe doesn't know how to um, set things up around him. Um, so I, I still believe in him. Yeah, and it says a lot that we both have met number one. I didn't really think all that much about it. I tried to put it myself in the mind frame of, you know, if if this guy was available, is there, you know, how many NBA GMs would take someone else over him? And I came to the conclusion that I think pretty much everybody would still want Luka Doncic, despite the fact that his value right now is is kind of maybe as low as it's been, you know, since he came into the league, which is saying a lot. I mean, it's still super high. Um, but, you know, he's kind of been on a downturn this season relative to expectations, whereas, you know, Trey Young scored 56 last night. Evan Mobley is, is the talk of the league. 
John Morant's having a great year. LaMelo's having a great year. Like a, a lot of these guys seem to be ascending. And, and Luca's, you know, to be fair to him, you laid out a, a lot of reasons why things haven't gone great for Dallas this season. But uh, despite all that, he's, he's still the relatively easy number one. And I think that says a lot about, you know, where his stock is. I, I don't want, have a ton to say about Trey Young. I just think he's really solid. You know, I, I think he, a lot of the flaws that you pointed out, like on-court flaws with John Morant are, are similar to some of Trey Young's on-court flaws. But, you know, he seems to have found ways to, you know, really, really contribute to winning. And I think he kind of has that extra gear as a scorer, as we saw last night, um, that a lot of these other younger guards don't necessarily have night to night. You know, the three-point shooting's been better this year. He's an in, insane free-throw shooter, gets to the line a ton. Uh, the only drawback with him, of course, is the size and what that means on defense. But, um, you know, we we were both Trey Young haters. I, I especially was, you know, when he came into the league, I thought he would be a pretty major bust. And it's gone completely the other way. And I, I now see him as, you know, the, uh, I guess, for us, unanimous number two most valuable player under 25. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was a, a Trey Young skeptic for sure uh, entering the draft. I, I mean, another, like you kind of mentioned it, but another big reason why it's Doncic for me over Trey Young and John Morant. Like it's the size, um, you know, those guys are maybe going to be just as good a scorers as Doncic in like the regular season, maybe just as good a passers, but it's so much easier to build a team around Luka Doncic because you can have him just guard whoever the other team's worst forward is. Um, whereas, Trey Young, John Morant, like those guys are just so small. They're just always going to get hunted, you know, every single play in the half court. Yep, exactly. Uh, any thoughts on Mobley before we move on to six through 10? You know, I think if, if you had said um, for the next like seven years for this exercise, I might've had him. I, I think I would have had him probably top two. Um He's just, it really can't be understated how rare it is for a rookie to be this good defensively. It, you know, I mean, he's just been so awesome. And I really think the sky's the limit. I mean, like, it, there's been lots of kind of comparisons. Um, you know, I, I think there's, he, like, the types of guys you want to compare him to are all just easy Hall of Famers. Um, so I just I think he's, uh, total stud. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. 
Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes who have the biggest impacts on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription that will give you access to everything on our website, not just our NBA content, all of our other sports, a ton of value wrapped up in that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you can go about claiming your free RotoWire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Finally, step three, play in your first paid contest and then you'll receive that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Thrive Fantasy, check it out today. The NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark-free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week. Then join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. All right, so you have LaMelo at number six. Give me your 7, 8, 9, 10 uh, on your list. Anthony Edwards, Zion Williamson, OG Ananobi, and Cade Cunningham. Okay, I have all those guys within my top 14, but we have a little more dissension now um i i have edwards at six you have met seven um let's see you had zion williamson at eight i have met i have him down at 12 uh so close but a little further down uh i have og at 14 you have him at nine uh i have Cade cunningham at nine you have him at 10 um well we're, we're, we're closest on anthony edwards i guess like i said i have him six you have him seven i bumped him just ahead of jason tatum you have tatum two spots ahead of anthony edwards I think Edwards was one of the tougher guys for me to gauge. Um, he was one, like, you know, I told you before we started recording, I thought, you know, there might be some that you kind of laughed at. I expected you to have Edwards a little bit higher. Um, but, I mean, is this another scenario where if you're talking the next seven to eight years versus the next two and a half years? Um, I just worry that, you know, it's it's not necessarily that. It's more um, just the way he plays on offense I think there's kind of a ceiling to how much that's going to like help a, a championship level team because he's just, he is still, you know, very much a, a black hole. Um, he takes a lot of bad shots. Uh, he makes a lot of his bad shots, but um, it's just, it's, you know, you have to be so elite at scoring to be one of these sort of score first high usage guys like a Kevin Durant. Like usually the the very best high usage guys are also going to be averaging six, seven, eight assists a game. 
And I just don't see Edwards ever really getting close to that. So um, he is, he's a very tough guy to, to place. So I, I think you're right. Like I think Lamelo and Edwards are two of the toughest guys because Edwards, you know, as tough as he is sort of to, to fit into a championship level offense, I think he's very easy to fit in defensively. I, I think the most surprising thing to me about Edwards in the NBA is just how, um, how much he works on defense. I, I really didn't I, – I thought he was just going to be one of those guys who just didn't care at all about playing defense, even though he had the tools to be good. And he he has not been like that. I mean, he can guard twos, threes. He can even – I mean, he's so strong. He can guard some fours. Um, so that part of it's nice. It's just like – I mean, the, the Timberwolves are a perfect example, right? Like Carl Anthony Towns – I know D'Angelo Russell is a big part of the problem, but like Carl Anthony Towns should be the absolute like offensive focal point on that team. But Edwards is just so thirsty offensively that that he's he's that guy. So um, it's just it's a it's a bit more challenging, I think, to build around him. You're totally right about the defensive side of things with Edwards. Like it, it completely goes against everything else about his personality that he would try on defense. Like he's he's just a, a classic like wouldn't care about defense guy. That's that to me is where the upside maybe comes. Like I, I don't think that he ever he's he's never going to get to seven eight assists a game. I think he could get to maybe five or six. Um, you know, kind of follow more of a like a Donovan Mitchell-esque trajectory. But I, I think if he really, you know, really, really pours that effort into defense and becomes like the best defensive two guard in the league while also averaging 27 points, you know, six assists and, uh, you know, six rebounds, you know, then I think you're talking about a guy who three years from now could be in contention to be a top 10 player in the NBA once some of these these current guys start aging out. So, I still think there is a, a ton of upside there. I think all the, all those questions um, are fair. And I mean, again, I have met six, you have met seven. So it's not like we're really, you know, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here. And I think we both have them in that upper echelon. Uh, one guy who did not appear, well, I actually have two guys who did not appear in your six through 10, uh, who I have in that range. So I have Edward six, Tatum seven. I have Scotty Barnes eighth. I have Cunningham nine. Uh, and then I have Bam Adebayo at 10. Yeah, I had, I had Barnes at, 12 and bam at 14 um but i mean this is a it's a very sort of fluid range uh so i i totally get the case for those guys yeah i mean with barnes i i keep coming back to your point about two and a half years versus five to seven years and i i, I think maybe with that more in my mind i would i would knock barnes down a bit because i, I think if you're talking like length of the career, like where he's starting right now and how good he's looked with how raw he still appears to be and, you know, kind of does everything for that team. I think he, you know, he would maybe be a little bit higher if you're talking like, who would you rather have for their duration of their entire career? But you could argue with Barnes that, you know, there, there's still some some skill building that's going to take more than the next two and a half seasons uh, to get done. But I mean, obviously he's been super impressive. Uh, we're, we're pretty much on the same page with Cunningham. I, I kind of wanted to find a way to, to put him up a little bit higher, but um, you know the slow start. I, I think he's he looks a little slighter than I thought he would. I, I was hoping he would add a little more weight. I'm sure that'll come at some point. Um, but with Cade, I, I think he's like a lock to be really really good. I, I I'm still not quite sure like where I would project his ceiling. You know, can he get to the same type of levels that you know some of those guys ahead of him, John Morant, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards? Like, can he ultimately reach? that maybe top five to 10 player in the league conversation, or is he always going to be someone who's kind of mired in that like 10 to 25 range? Yeah, I, 
I honestly don't see that upside. Um, I I ranked him 10th more for his floor and his intangibles than anything else. Like, I just think he's, he's another guy, you know, a lot like Tatum where it's just so easy to plug him in. Um, I just, I, I've really liked, uh, how he's carried himself in, in a really tough situation in Detroit. Like he, he still seems to just go out and give hundred percent every night. And, uh, you know, he's, He's a good passer. He's a good shooter. Uh, he's got decent size defensively to guard, you know, maybe one through three um, certain nights. I don't think he's great at any of those things. So, you know, almost like, you know, I, there actually are maybe some similarities between like a guy like Tatum, although um, Cunningham, obviously a much better passer than Tatum, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, just a guy that you could plug in in any situation. He doesn't need to be the number one option. I mean, he doesn't even need to be the number two option. If you've got good enough guys around him, I think he can still fit in in that type of scenario. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I don't think we're going to fight each other too much about Adebayo versus Ananobi. You know, you're a little higher on OG. I'm a little higher on Bam. We essentially have those guys flipped. But uh, I think that's a matter of preference. and I could see it either way. I do want to have the Zion debate. And Based on how you and I have talked about Zion all year, both on this pod, on Slack, in person, I'm surprised you have him at number eight. I, you know, not that I have him too much lower. He's at 12 for me. Um, but, but what made you sneak him into your top 10? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, it's not like he's on this horribly run Pelicans team in this exercise. Uh, and I, obviously, I don't, I'm not expecting anything from him this year. So I'm basically taking his next two years. Um, I just think I, I think you could, if you put the right players around him, I mean, he could be a top 10 player in the league. Um, I don't think that's all that likely, but I don't think any of the players below him could be a top 10 player in the league. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of, it's sort of just like a, an upside gamble that if you've got a, one of the rare centers who can shoot and protect the rim, and then you have three other shooters to surround him with, I think you could possibly have a top five offense and like a top 10 defense if you have the right players around him. So I just it's it's about the upside. It's not about me thinking it's 
super likely that that happens and that he stays healthy. But uh, we've, we've seen him play at a level that we haven't seen any of the guys below him play at. That is very true. And I think if we did this exercise at the end of last season or we did it over the summer, I think he's probably somewhere in the one to five range. I don't think he falls any any lower than that. I think there, there are people that would would debate Luca versus Zion. Um, but I, I mean, I really didn't consider putting him any higher than probably seven, eight, nine. And for me, it's more about the injuries. You know, I, I think yeah. we, we've only we've only seen such limited action of him in such a weird situation with the Pelicans. And, you know, part of it is he's just never been in great shape, injuries aside. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of been a, a lack of effort defensively, especially compared to what we saw at Duke. I think that's what's the most frustrating is it's not like this guy was was a nothing on defense in college. He was like a complete monster on that end. And then even when healthy in the NBA, that effort level was just nowhere near what we saw in college. So you, you don't have the same questions necessarily that you have with LaMelo, where it's like, well, does this guy think he's actually from another planet? But uh, kind of some of the same you know, effort level questions in certain areas. But really for me, if you could guarantee he's healthy, then I, I would easily shoot him up you know, into the top five, no question. It's just based on what we've seen this year, I mean, who knows if he ends up even playing in a game? Will he play in 15 games? I don't know. Like at that point, I think that would almost be a win. Uh, there, there's just so much concern there that I, I think you have to put a pretty massive discount on a guy who talent-wise is, is again, very easily in the top three to five range for me. Yeah, I mean, the weight is the scariest thing. Like, it's obviously the injuries, but, like, I think the weight is the reason for the injuries, and the weight yeah. is the reason for the defensive decline because he's probably, like, 30 pounds heavier than he was at Duke, and I think he's probably always... I don't know if there's been a single stretch in the NBA for him where he hasn't been playing through some sort of lower body thing. And so when you're that heavy, like, do you want to, you know, try your absolute hardest on defense? If you think you could like injure something at any time, I mean, I, it's just like, how can we get this guy to lose a ton of weight? Like that, that's the big question. I, I like, I'm putting him here, but I think the chance of him, making this look good is still below 50%. It's just kind of a, a, a long shot bet. I, for me, it's truly 50-50 because I think this is extremely similar to the debate that we would have had about Joel Embiid in like 2017, you know, where, and I, I think you could argue that Embiid's medical issues were significantly more severe uh, than what Zion's are, although, you know, Zion's doing his best to catch up over the last couple months here. I, you know, if you had told me that Joel Embiid would be contending for MVPs and, you know, I, I know he's still missing like 15 to 20 games every year, but th like how Embiid's, you know, next like three to four years played out after the injury concerns is like the best case scenario. So there, there is a, a roadmap for Zion, you know, maybe getting out of New Orleans or, you know, finally maturing a little bit and and getting himself in shape. And, and all of a sudden, maybe we look back and say, I can't believe we were so worried about it. But there's also a path where this gets really ugly and, you know, he kind of goes down as one of the all-time what-ifs. Like, to me, it's a true 50-50. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, is it, in this exercise, is it a 50-50, like, if we just remove, if we don't know what team he's on, like, how much of that, is, is any of that tied to just the fact that he doesn't want to be in New Orleans and is kind of stuck there? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know that it necessarily matters which team he's on. It's like, is he in New Orleans or is he somewhere else? You know, I, I don't know that his, his career plays out differently if he's on the Warriors versus the Pacers. But I, I think as long as he's in a situation that he and his camp 
feel comfortable in. I, I think that's seemingly what matters most. I, I don't think it's anything necessarily against the city of New Orleans or the organization. Oh, no. It's like whatever organization drafted him, and if you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, I, so no, I, I don't think it necessarily matters. If he stays in New Orleans and things just continue to spiral, you know, obviously that that will be a contributing factor. But assuming he's out of there at least within the next few years, um, you would think that would increase his chances of this turning out well. Uh, let's do a quick reset, and then you'll give me uh, your 11 through 15. So your top 10 in order: Luca, Trey Young, Morant, Mobley, Tatum, Lamelo, Anthony Edwards, Zion, OG Ananobi, and Cade Cunningham. Uh, give me your 11 through 15. Darius Garland, Scotty Barnes, DeAndre Ayton, Bam Adebayo, and John Collins. Okay, all of those guys made my list uh, in some form or fashion. I have Garland at 15, uh, Barnes, like I said, I had at 8. I have Ayton at 17, uh, I had Bam Adebayo at 10, and then I have John Collins at 16. So, um, you're, you're a little bit higher on a couple of these guys. I'm a little bit higher on Barnes and Bam Adebayo, but other than that, I think we're pretty much on the same page here. Yeah, totally. Um, very, very impressive guys, but guys where you probably want them to be, you know, the third best player on the team. Uh, if you're trying to win a title, um, maybe, maybe they could get to the point where they could be the second best player, but um yeah there's there's a little bit to nitpick with all of them i will say i'm surprised that your your full top 15 are all within my top 17 i I thought you were gonna throw at least one wild card in here and like desmond bain would be at eight for you Jalen horton tucker at at five (laughs) i I, you know i was debating between barrett and and tht the the both guys (laughs) who are next up here tht (laughs) is him i don't know if you saw that on twitter but he is in fact him Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, do you think this is a like this class of players, tw- like twenty four and under, is better or worse or about the same as it would have been like five years ago? Like rewinding and you know having like Carl Anthony Towns and Mitchell and Brown, like guys like that are involved. Yeah, I I think it's slightly better, and I, I think part of that is. You know, there were a couple of iffy drafts like in the middle of uh, mm-hmm. of the last decade. You know, I'm thinking like the Nerlens Noel draft, um, which I, I think was also the Giannis draft. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, if you're if you're throwing a player like Giannis into the mix, you know, that that kind of raises the tide for everybody. But you know, like even even the Carl Towns draft in in 2015, like you know, if we turn back the clock a few years, that whole draft class becomes eligible for this list. But I mean, outside of Towns, like how many players from the 2015 class would you even have? on your list you know even if we if we're saying we're doing this exercise in like 2019 it's like you know Porzingis has a lot of question marks um you know Devin Booker is certainly in here somewhere but beyond that you're talking like you know Montrezl Harrell is second in VORP for the 2015 class like Miles Turner is is like one of the five best players in that class D'Angelo Russell um you know DeLon Wright is one of the better players in that class like I, I feel like there were a couple a couple really top heavy drafts that that didn't offer much beyond the the best two or three guys um in the in the middle of the last decade whereas i i think we're helped right now because the 2021 draft looks like it's going to be super loaded uh with some of the names that have played really well so far um some of the guys that i feel like were were kind of 50 50 like could be good could be a bust coming in have 
for the most part worked out, you know, someone like a Trey Young, like I, if you had asked me to do this in 2018, I would not have said that I thought he would be the number two guy on this list. So it, it does feel like even someone like DeAndre Ayton, you know, I, I think we were all pretty lukewarm on him, especially as a number one overall pick in terms of the kind of upside you're looking for uh, with that pick. Like the fact that he's pretty much a shoe in for this list, I think says a lot. So it, it does feel like a lot of these drafts have had um, these last two or three drafts, I should say, have had some more hits, uh, I guess, than you would necessarily expect with some of those top picks. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm surprised that two of, like, LaMelo, Wiseman, Edwards are in our top seven. Like, just exactly. go back go back to, like, that draft, like, before the draft. Like, they were all just such lottery tickets with high bust potential. Um, the fact that two of them actually hit is, is very encouraging. Right. Well, and even the the Zion Morant draft, like I, I don't think anyone's shocked that we have both of those guys in our list. But, you know, Darius Garland uh, being another guy who's essentially a shoe in here for for the top 20, top 25, uh, that was far from a guarantee as well. So I, I think, you know, that that 2019 draft turning out maybe a little better than we thought, certainly the 2020 draft looking better than we thought. And then having what looks like it's going to be maybe the most loaded out of all those in 2021. Um, I mean, we have what Cunningham, Mobley, Barnes are all in our top 15 just from this class alone. And, you know, I think there's cases to be made for guys like Josh Giddy, Jalen Green, Franz Wagner. Um, you know, you could, you could even shoehorn maybe a couple others from 2021. Um, and, and granted, you know, maybe some of these guys look great now and, and two, three years from now, uh, we, we can look back and say we were a little too high on them. But um, essentially what I'm trying to say is the fact that we've gotten three or four pretty good drafts overall, in a row um, makes this field a little bit deeper now than I think it would have been five to seven years ago. Yeah, totally. So I, I have somebody at number 11 on my list who I, I don't believe you have listed yet. I have Shea Gilgis Alexander, 11. I have Zion, 12. I have the humble beast, Brandon Ingram at 13. <laughs> I have OG Ananobi at 14. And then I have Darius Garland at 11. Okay. Uh, I think we, We've gotten to um, some, like, probably our biggest disagreements, I guess, just in terms of how far apart we are. On um, okay. So, uh, the two guys you have pretty high that I have a decent amount lower are Shea Gogas Alexander and Brandon Ingram. Okay. Um, you know, this is, I mean, these two guys are maybe like poster childs for um, being better in fantasy than in real life. Uh, like partly just because of how skinny they both are and how bad they both are defensively. Um, and so I just, I, I'm kind of spooked by SGA's shooting uh, regression this year um like he he needs to be a plus shooter i think to be you know a winning point guard and do we think last year was the outlier i mean it kind of looks like it was the outlier um and then with brandon ingram brandon ingram i will say is a good stats bad team guy i just I don't think you can get very far with Brandon Ingram uh, as one of your two highest usage guys. 
I think that's fair. I I think with Ingram, you know, he's definitely someone who is dependent more so than you'd probably like, especially for someone who I have at 13 overall. Uh, he's more dependent on being in the the essentially for him the perfect situation where he's not necessarily counted on you know being the number one or or probably even the number two option at this point. But I, I do think scoring wise, like he has that next level gear that that's been on display these last couple of years, and and it certainly didn't look like he had that when it would kind of look like he was going to be a bust in those first three years with the Lakers. But, you know, he, he basically went back to back 24 points per game, six rebounds, four and a half assists on 46, 39, 86, you know, um, from 2019 through the end of last season. So, you know, he has regressed this year. He's had some injuries. Uh, obviously he's kind of been a part of the reason that the Pelicans have struggled. And I think the argument essentially is that, look, if he was this good, the Pelicans wouldn't be this bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's not that he, you know, I'm I'm trying to think about like if we take him out of New Orleans or out of uh, OK or out of New Orleans and, you know, could he be like, I just I don't think he could be like a Chris Middleton because I just I don't think he can get his jumper off like that quickly on catch and shoots and. I just I think he just doesn't play with any urgency. Um, I yeah I mean I, I just think it's like he's getting these opportunities to put up all these numbers because he plays on a team that has just nobody on it other than Zion when he's healthy, which is rare, and so he just he gets so many opportunities to put up uh, big scoring numbers, but and and like he's he's capable like if, if he's going to be your top usage guy uh he's going to be able to score but he's not going to be able to like make his teammates better um and he's just not the level like for for a wing who's as bad as he is defensively he's not good enough offensively to kind of overcome that for me yeah i think that's fair i think part of it is the development has kind of stalled with him where he took such a massive leap from those first three years with the Lakers to even that just just that first year with the Pelicans, like you, you know, free throw percentage was a huge liability for him early on. He was 62, 68, 68 at the line his first three years, and then jumped up to 85 in his first season with the Pelicans, and then 88 the next season. Three point shooting essentially the same, um, going from 33% to 39%, then 38%. Uh, you know, so I, I guess before like really digging into the numbers, you, you kind of assume that that linear trajectory is going to continue, but it certainly hasn't for him. Um, I guess part of the question is, does he get the same benefit of the doubt that Zion does with playing in this Pelicans organization? Or, you know, is he part of the reason that we consider this organization, um, you know, so incompetent? Yeah, I think it's more, he's part of the reason. Like, I, I think he would, I mean, I think he would just be like a Tobias Harris on like a normal team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair. You, that 13 is a little high. You, that, you, you made a fair point there. I, I think I'll, if I had to revise this, I would probably move him down uh, a little bit. All right. So we're through your top 15. Give me your 16 through 20. Miles Bridges, Jalen Green, SGA, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. I like it. I have Miles Bridges at 20. I I have Jalen Green as my first guy out, and I don't feel good about it, 
but we, we could talk about that one. Uh, I, of course, have SGA quite a bit higher, all the way up at 11. I have Desmond Bain at 22, and I have Halliburton at 21. So um, not a ton of disagreement here. Um, I, I slipped a few other guys into my 16 through 20 range uh, that, that we could talk about in a second. But um, yeah, Jalen Green for me, I, I I initially left him off of my list of like 45 guys that I took down and then realized my mistake, <laughs> put him on there. And I just, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. I, I He's looked really good these last two games, I guess, since he's come back from injury. But um, I don't know. I, I, I probably should sneak him on there. For me, he would... He probably belongs in like the 23 to 25 range. I, I've been a little bit spooked by by the lack of efficiency, but um, yeah, I I, I, sh- I should probably have him on there. Well, yeah, I mean, like I I can touch on him just because I've been so high on him. Um, like it, this is kind of a range where I think we're, we're mostly talking about role players, but if we were to pick someone in this range to you know, ascend to borderline all-star status in the next couple of years. I think just the flashes he's shown as a shooter. And I mean, he's taking, you know, he he's not usually taking like wide open catch and shoot threes. He's taking a lot like off the dribble, a lot that are, you know, three, four feet behind the line. And he, hasn't used his athleticism as much as I'd like, especially in the half court. But I mean, he still gets up for some crazy alley-oop finishes uh, for a a shooting guard. Uh, So, I mean, if we're just kind of comparing like, you know, the the upside of the three point shot off the dribble combined with the athleticism, like it's just a, a different combination of, of tools and upside than the other guys in this range. And I think there's a really decent chance that he, by the time this two and a half year period is over, he's still, you know, maybe a a, a net even player because of how bad he is defensively. So I, it's not like I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm very confident in Jalen green being a, a uh, shooting guard who helps you win playoff series. I just think there's the the chance that he could um, really shoot up this list, um, especially especially if like I, I think kind of the key to him getting there is to prove that he can be kind of a a thirty seven percent three point shooter on tough looks and high volume and a guy that can sort of you know, get you to like five and a half assists, something like that um, as sort of a, like a Bradley Beal, Devin Booker type of uh, secondary ball handler. And then you kind of just assume the defense is never going to get even to average, but if he can, if he can do that offensively, I think he, he could be quite valuable and you need certain types of players around him because of, uh, the size and the defense and everything, but I just, it's, it's an upside play. Um, kind of yeah. like with Zion, like it's, it's not one where I'm like, I, I love this guy. I think he's definitely going to uh, make good on this, but I think it, there's, there's a chance. So the reason I essentially left him off is kind of one of the criticisms that we've talked about with a few of these guys is like, ultimately, yeah, I, I think two, two and a half years from now, he's probably averaging like 26 a game, but can he get to the point, like, does he max out as like, you know, a, a light version of Anthony Edwards. And I mean that literally like the weight for him is a concern. You know, he, he did not come into the league 
with an NBA body, like some of these other prodigy top three picks do. Um, so how much weight can he add? And then ultimately, is he is he just giving you 26 points a night and and, and shooting the lights out? Or, you know, can he, can he pass the ball whatsoever? Does he give you anything defensively? Um, <clears throat> like right now, the answer has been a resounding no. Um, you know, even during this latest stretch, like since he's come back from injury, he's averaged 20 points a game, 44% shooting, 47% from three, making almost four threes a game. So that part of the game has been fine. He's been getting to the line a ton, but two rebounds a game, less than two assists per game, not doing anything defensively. Um, you know, how much of that is just being in a bad system? I don't know how much of that is, you know, having to, to really learn those type of skills. I, I guess there, there just aren't a ton of, of guys, you know, as you alluded to, I forget who it was. I think it might've been with regard to Edwards who, you know, even as a rookie in a tough situation who come into the league and are like doing nothing in terms of rebounds and assists and all of a sudden become really impactful all around players later <clears> in their <throat> careers. So long story short, I'm just worried that he might be this great scorer who much like a Brandon Ingram, you know, doesn't necessarily contribute all that much to winning. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I I've seen, <clears throat> I mean, I, I've probably seen like half of his assists so far uh, because there've been so few, but uh, the ones I have seen, like he will show flashes of making like a really impressive pass that a lot of guys might not see. So um, now, I mean that, that uh, Houston uh, locker room situation, uh, it's tough to imagine him finding himself in a better situation than that, but um you know, he's <laughs> if uh, if he were to be maybe somewhere where he was getting coached a little harder and he had, um, you know, even like veterans of like sort of like the like I, I feel like DJ Augustine isn't necessarily like pulling him aside and teaching. Him. <laughs> like, I, I think he no, that's a, uh, that's da that's David and Waba's job. <laughs> like, I, I think if, if you had him with you know, just somebody kind of with a, a little bit of respect and some, some experience to kind of take him under his wing. Like, I think that, that could help too. But um, I mean, I think you're, you're definitely right in saying that it would be um, very rare for a player to uh, show this little in terms of those other categories and then kind of make a significant jump. You're right, though. I, I think he maybe is in the worst single situation of any rookie. Uh, you know, even even though the Pistons are you know, like the worst team record wise with Kate Cunningham, like that doesn't seem nearly as dysfunctional, uh, especially given what happened you know, in Houston over the weekend. Like the Pistons are a bad team. They know they're bad, but you at least have some veterans. You have a veteran coach. You have an, an organization that that seemingly has more direction than what Houston has. So, yeah, I, I think he definitely deserves the benefit of the doubt. Green does in some regard. Uh, my 16 through 20, I have John Collins at 16. You had him at 15. I have DeAndre Ayton at 17. You had him at 13. I have Jared Allen at 18. Uh, you have not named him yet and potentially will not name him. Uh, I have Lonzo Ball at 19, who kind of surprised he he fit in these parameters, but still pretty young. Uh, and then I have Miles Bridges at 20. You have him at 16. Jeez, I can't believe that. Uh, I did not even check to see if Lonzo Ball fit. Um, yeah, you're right. Huh. Yeah, uh, he doesn't turn, just, he won't turn 25 just, until next October. This ruins the entire exercise. Um, yeah, this is void. All right, I'll, I'll cancel the recording. <laughs> Hold on. 
Well, uh, where, in what general area, where, where, where in general would you have slotted Lonzo Ball? Uh, probably higher than you. Um, probably would have had him. Well, where did you say? I think I would have had him 17 ahead of Jalen Green. Okay. I had him at 19. I, okay. I, I just think with him, you know, he's really, really good right now. A, a lot of what he does is kind of immeasurable. I uh, think in how he's grown into this guy who really, really affects winning, even though the numbers are not overwhelming at all. He's basically at like 13, five and five, um, you know, defensively, almost two steals a game. That's huge. But he's he's pretty much become the guy that we thought he would would become as a rookie. You know, I, I think we the way he played in college, there was this expectation that he was going to be like an otherworldly passer and, and would be averaging like, you know, he'd be like a, a Rondo type where he could average eight points a game, but he'd be averaging like 12 and a half assists. And I, it, it does feel like he, like he is a great passer, but it's, it, most of the passing highlights you see with Lonzo are alley-oops or long outlet passes that lead to a basket. They're not, you know, Pete Maravich, Steve Nash, you know, Rajon Rondo, you know, fancy between the leg half court stuff. You know, it, it's more, uh, a lot of what he does is immeasurable, but yeah, what a weird career he's had where it went from potential bust to is constantly injured to now five years in, like really becoming the impactful all around guy that, that the Lakers, I guess, hoped he would be. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I actually wouldn't say that he's what, well, I, I wasn't that high on him before the draft, but I think like the whole idea of him was um, like sort of what you said in terms of Rondo, even like, like Jason Kidd got brought up and, and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Like, and it's, he's just a much lower usage uh, half court player. He he does. He's at his best when he's not the like primary um, ball handler out there because he just can't really get to the rim. Um, he can't. Like, he's, taken, beat his... he's taken 22 free throws this year in over a thousand minutes. 22. Yeah. Yeah, he can't beat his man. He can't get to the rim. Uh, he can hit open threes, which has like been absolutely crucial because if he couldn't do that, uh, then he would not have much use at all. But like as things stand, he's kind of like the opposite. Like I would say he's like the exact opposite of Brandon Ingram, for instance, where uh, he's going to help you win on both sides of the court. He's not going to like he's going to make his teammates better. Um and it's it might not look super impressive uh, from a points per game standpoint, but um, you know he just he's a huge part of why the Bulls have been this good, and a pretty big part of why the Pelicans have been so bad. So um, I, yeah, I just think he he's kind of like the polar opposite of like a, an Ingram. Uh, and I even yeah. have him like I, I just slotted him at seventeen, like ahead of SGA, just because I think. Um, while SGA definitely has more chops as a primary ball handler, I don't know if he's helping you kind of get to where you want to go. I think the perception of SGA is he has way higher upside than Lonzo. And, and maybe that is true, depending on you know how he finishes this season and how next season looks. But I also think Rondo or Rondo, uh, Lonzo, like what he's doing now is extremely sustainable. And it, it feels like he should just gradually become more and more efficient as he gets older, you know, that's kind of the, the big knock on him other than the free throw situation, which he, he went 14 games in a row at one point this season without attempting a free throw. Like that, that is insane. Like 15 of his 22 free throw attempts have come in like the last week and a half. So maybe he's figuring it out. I don't know, but he, he should become more and more efficient. You know, it's a very sustainable 
style of basketball to play. And oftentimes guys who play like that, you know, have these later peaks, you know, think, think of a Steve Nash type, you know, Jason Kidd was super effective well into his thirties where, you know, you, your experience kind of catches up with where your mind is. And I, I think, you know, I think Lonzo could probably be playing his best basketball from age like 28 to 33, you know, when, when he just kind of has this mastery of things that you're already seeing a preview of in year five. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there, there's also a chance that we're sort of seeing him at his best like now and like maybe for like the rest of his contract with the Bulls because like defense is just such a huge part of what he brings to the table. And so whenever he loses some athleticism and, and quickness, that might uh, negatively impact his ability to be that big of a uh a guy on that side of the ball but um i mean I, he will his game will age well for the reasons you you mentioned but um you know once he's once he's no longer one of the like five or six defensive guards in the league then um he won't be someone that we would consider for a list like this okay give me your final five guys uh 21 through 25 we'll, we'll motor through these last five and then maybe talk about a couple uh who, who didn't make at least one of our lists so i did have tyrese Halliburton at 20 but he's been pushed down to 21 now uh then jared allen alperin shangun franz wagner and jaron jackson okay i like it i i, I did squeeze jaron jackson onto my list i have him at 23 uh i, I franz did not quite make the list He's one of the next, you know, two or three guys that I would consider. Did not have Shangun. He was he was also on the list of considerations, but to me hasn't shown quite enough. Uh, and then, like I said, I had Jared Allen all the way up at 18. Um, so really, th- there are very few guys that we vastly differ on, um, you know, in terms of not being on on one list and being on the other. And and some of these, you know, like my 24, Tyler Hero, 25, Josh Giddy, are not on your list, but I assume those guys are not too far off. No, they're not. And, um, you know, actually, I'm going to I'm going to bump Shangun off uh, because of the time constraints we're looking at for just two and a half years and put Brandon Ingram at 25. OK, there we go. I love it. The humble beast is back. Hum- humble. I got it. He's got to stay humble. He's such a beast, but he's just so humble. Um yeah, I mean, I we, we talked about Desmond Bain, who I have at 22. You had him at 19. I, I, there's not a lot to say there. He's just really good. Um, yeah, a lot of people have talked about him this year. I mean, that's just looking like maybe one of the all-time steals um, uh, of this era of drafts. Like, he's going to be super, super good uh, for a long time. Jared Jackson, to me, I, I I felt like I had to find a spot for him, partially based on reputation. He's just such yeah, a it's... weird player to me that I, I don't, I just don't know how to value him. But then, you know, then it comes down to it's like, do I really think Josh Giddey is going to be markedly better than him in two and a half years? Probably not. I, I don't know. I was, I don't have uh, Jackson anywhere in fantasy. Um, and when I was doing this the homework for this pod, I was kind of appalled at how bad his shooting numbers have been this year. Uh, I just, I didn't realize he'd been that bad. Um, and it's, it's definitely a little concerning. I mean, it's it's concerning that you and I had Desmond Bain ahead of him, and like that's kind of a commonly held opinion now. Yeah, I didn't think Desmond, twice about that. Desmond Bain's the second best guy on that team. I mean, that's uh, not. 
I don't think that's kind of their ticket to necessarily getting where they want to go. I think ideally Jackson would be the clear second best guy on the team and Bain would be a really good yes. third young player. So uh, that's a little concerning. Um, well, and Jackson already signed the, the four-year extension. You know, I mean, you, you got him locked up for 25 plus over the next four years, which I don't know, maybe that ends up looking okay, but it, I, you know, they were kind of backed into a corner. You're not just going to let him walk. I get that, but that, that could also end up looking like a bit of an albatross in a couple of years. How crazy is it that the Cavaliers are the only team with three players that made each of our top 22s? Yeah. And easily made it, right? I mean, I had, I had three of those guys in the top 20, three in the top 18. Yeah, I, I had Allen at 22, but yeah, I mean, I, I get, I get the case like with his, with centers like especially like very sort of traditional centers like him it's tough to do this in an exercise because it's very team context related um, but you know Darius Garland I think is maybe the most pleasant surprise for me on this entire list but, I mean he was someone that I liked um, but I. I liked him more as just kind of a, I didn't like RJ Barrett. Um, I did not see Darius Garland getting to this point where he was shooting this efficiently. Uh, and I mean, he, he's just put in so much work to, to make himself better. And like the size is certainly a concern, but uh, I think the, like the passing is, is ahead of schedule. And I just am really impressed with how efficiently he's scoring. So who are the the next like two or three guys who were were kind of right on the cusp of making your list? Uh, I didn't go really any deeper than this. Um, mentioned Shangun, uh, Giddy, I guess would have been in the mix. I mean, with with Giddy, it's just tough to tough to buy that he's ever gonna shoot well enough to be like, you know, maybe maybe he can have like a Ricky Rubio type of career, but. Um, it's hard to see the upside there, but mm-hmm. given how bad he's shot it. So I'll list off a couple names. Uh, like I said, I ended up going pretty deep here. And there were some of the guys who I initially listed. I was like, oh, you know, I'll be able to fit Emmanuel quickly on the list. And then it, it very quickly became obvious that that he was not going to be in that category. But, uh, you know, Wagner and Green, who you had on your list, I, I think that's totally justifiable. Uh, Cole Anthony, I, I wanted to find a spot for, but just couldn't really do it. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote down like Tyrese Maxey, PJ Washington, Jordan Poole, Keldon Johnson, who I thought for sure you would have. I thought you might even sneak Devin Fassell on your list. Um, <laughs> but then a couple who I, a couple more, I, I really wanted to find a spot for Anyeka Kongwu, who I, I like a lot and think is going to be good, but there's just not enough of a sample for me to definitively put him over a guy like Hero uh, or, or even Josh Giddy at this point. Um, but you know the, the the big name who I think we have not mentioned and for sure would have been on this list maybe even earlier this season is Michael Porter Jr. And you know at the end of the day I, I just think way too much of a risk. Uh, he's 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 certainly in the others receiving votes section, but I, I think he's you know even like far exceeding Zion in terms of risk. And and we spent ten minutes talking about how risky Zion is. Yeah, and it's it's not like um, MPJ was just this. Uh, super clear uh winning player before the injury and now it's just we have no idea when he can get back to that or if he ever will get back to that i mean it's it's just it's so obvious that Nikola jokic makes 
everyone he plays with just look way better than they actually are. And so if you remove that context and you have no idea if he's ever going to come close to being the player he was, it's, it's kind of scary. Is it crazy to say that if we did this last April and so much has happened since, since then that it's kind of hard to put yourself in that frame of mind, but is it crazy to say that like Michael Porter versus John Morant, who we both have in our top five, like that would have been a real debate if we were doing this, right? I think I'd have Porter. I think it'd be like, I'd be debating like Porter versus Anthony Edwards at like seven. I don't, I don't think I would have gotten that crazy, but um, he would have definitely been top 10. And um, yeah, it would have been kind of, I think I'd take LaMelo Ball over him and then it'd be like, who do I want more of the Porter and Edwards? Cause he, you know, I mean, even Porter was, he was like, on that run with, with Murray out where he was shooting like 50% from three on crazy volume. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, but he was just, he was still, he was another like, very fantasy over reality type of guy where you know sure what wasn't a good defender um didn't couldn't like pass or dribble um so yeah that's all fair that's all I, fair I do but think, yeah for me I, he's 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 on standby i think you're right though about onyeko kongu being like if we were just going to pick someone who didn't make either top 25 who a year from now could be top 10 i think okongu is a is someone that, you know, he's, he's flashed such a high two-way ceiling. And like, I think about um, like the Eastern conference, like over the next like two to three years, who are some guys that would have any hope of checking Giannis in a series. And like, I think Akangu is on that short list just because he's just been so impressive um, in such a small sample. I mean, that question comes down to two names for me. It's Anyeka Kongwu and it's Xavier Tillman. <laughs> and he's and another James, guy. I, I really thought I was fully expecting you to sneak him on at like 24. Well, I, I think I was right about how good he can be defensively. Um, but I think I was wrong to overlook how bad he could be offensively. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be good at both to make a list like this. You know, there, there's no major liabilities. All right, man, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we got a full slate of games to prepare for tonight, uh, but appreciate you doing all the prep work as always. And I think this was a really fun exercise. Yeah, man, this was, this was a blast. Uh, have a good luck. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.